welcome to the Transparency Project radio podcast on the Inside Lens Network with programming dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved homicides, suspicious deaths, and other topics of interest to our audience. My name is Denny Griffin and my co-host is Delilah Jones of Imagine Publicity. Hi, Delilah. Good morning, Denny. Um, I don't have my notes in front of me. I have a new computer that has different things, a different headset, and I'm like lost in the weeds. You know how that goes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I yes, usually yes. have this, you know, some notes in front of me that what we're what we're talking about in the introduction. But I do want to say that um, the Inside Lens Network has been around. Oh, for a long, long time. I think you started in 2004 or something like that. And we've had, you know, a lot of different regenerations, rebirths, you you name it. We've done a lot of different things. So, you know, if listeners are looking for something a little different, just scroll through the old episodes. I guarantee you, you will find something. Yeah, I've got a lot of good stuff. So there's, uh, I think, probably something for everybody, wouldn't you say, Dee? Absolutely, absolutely. I think, you know, I think your your um, your Crime Wire shows, of course, were probably the most popular series that ran on the Inside Lens Network. And and if you're listening, you can find the Inside Lens Network on all of the different podcast platforms, too. Just uh, search for it on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Spotify or any of them. It'll be there. Okay, today's, on today's show, we're joined by Wilveria Sanders, and she's going to discuss the case of her brother, Shelton Sanders, who disappeared from Columbia, South Carolina on June 19, 2001. Wilveria, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you, Denny, and thank you, Delilah, for um, inviting me to the show. Um, I hope everybody is doing good. Thank you for this opportunity. Well, thank you for joining us. Let's begin, uh, Wilveria, with you telling us in the audience about Shelton, you know, uh, who he was, what he was doing, what was going on in his life. And then we'll discuss uh, the details of his disappearance and the subsequent investigation. Okay. So my brother, um, Shelton John Sanders, um, he uh, was born and raised in Rembert, South Carolina, um, in a small country town. Uh, he was the third, the, the middle boy. Um, it was three boys and a girl. Um, he was the middle son. Uh, He had an older brother, a younger brother, and then me, um, the only sister. I was 11 years old at the time he went missing. Shelton was born in 1975. He was only 25 years old on June 19, 2001, when he went missing, and his life was cut short, unfortunately. Um, Shelton was a young, promising black male, was a high-achieving student at the University of South Carolina, He was employed as a systems manager in the Department of Neuropsychiatry and Behavioral Science. Um, He also uh, wanted his own computer programming website. Um, He had it already established. It was called sandzone.com. He expressed there um, in becoming a computer programmer after his expected graduation of December of 2001, so he was shy of six months 
of graduating with his bachelor's degree in information technology at the University of South Carolina. Shelton meant to the world, to his friends and family. He was, he was just uh, loved by everyone. Um, he would help anyone in need. Um, his friends and family, we all describe him as a workaholic engulfed in his studies, anxious to graduate uh, with his bachelor's in IT, um, he would give the shirt off his back. He was God-fearing, family-oriented, a fanatic Dallas Cowboys fan, and loved his uh, playing, having fun with his friends. His goals were to graduate in December 2001 and have his own consulting business. His dreams were to get married and have children, have a own, his own distribution company, and raise cattle. His hobbies were cooking, cleaning the yard, and inside of our home here in Rembert. He was caring, he was generous, and he loved people. He participated in youth organizations in his local community. Um, there were so many wonderful aspects of Shelton's life, and he touched so many um, in his period of 25 years. My brother was the most influential person in my life. As I said, I was only 11 years old, but I have so many memories of him. Um, he was a wonderful son, a brother, and a great friend and cousin to all of us. Um, I just want to say, Wilveria, that, um, you know, this is very heartbreaking to hear because your your grief still comes through. You know, when you speak about your brother, he, he really sounds like a fine young man. And um, I offer my condolences to you and your family. Thank you. Thank you, Delilah. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, talking about this story over and over, um, it almost brings closure um, just trying to reach out to someone who knows more information, um, who can tell us where his location of his remains are because we haven't been able to recover it or, you know, bring him to a proper, proper burial. So um, me talking about it, sharing his story, being a voice for him into the community, and there are so many other missing persons um, out here, um, and, and they have to have a voice as well. So I appreciate this opportunity for me being able to tell Shelton's story. Uh, well, Varia, the, uh, I echo uh, Delilah's comments. Certainly, uh, Shelton did have a very promising life and, and, and seemed to be an exemplary uh, young person. Uh, now, on the uh, the day he disappeared, would you tell us uh, what you know about what he was up to that day, what was going on with him? To June 19th that morning. So Shelton um, was commuting, commuting back and forth from Rembert to Columbia every day. Um, he was part-time in school, um, part-time studies, and he was working a part-time job at the behavior, neuropsychiatry and behavioral science as the systems manager. So that particular morning, he woke up about, um, I want to say, 8 or 9. Um, I was already in summer camp. My mother and father were on the way to work. My younger brother, or the youngest boy, was here. Um, his, his Shelton's younger brother was still here in the bed, and he said that Shelton had left around 9, 9.30. Um, he borrowed his vehicle because Shelton's, Shelton's vehicle was in the shop that particular day. It was having some mechanical issues. So he borrowed his younger brother's car. Um, 
started driving to Columbia. Um, he did have plans um, after work and school that he wanted to plan a bachelor party for his best friend that was getting married on July the 14th. Um, the bachelor party was supposed to be scheduled for July the 7th. Um, there were several um, friends that Shelton had um, since high school and that he met at USC. Um, they all came to an agreement, you know, months. Um, they were planning They were planning this bachelor party uh, weeks and months ago, and um, he wanted to take it upon himself to schedule the bachelor party. Um, after he went to work and he went to school that particular day, he um, went um, to another friend's house that was supposed to go with him to plan the bachelor party um, that day, and that particular friend said that he was not going to be able to. He had sudden um, change of plans. He had uh, visitors coming over and that he couldn't go. So uh, Mark Richardson was also there um, that at that particular day. Um, he came by that afternoon around 6 or 7 o'clock, and he volunteered himself to go with Shelton. He told Shelton that he would go. So um, Shelton told him, saying, hey, you know, I have my brother's vehicle. I have to hurry up and get back um, home to Rembert. Um, it's getting late, so, um, you know, we have to make it quick. So Mark said, well, if you follow me back to my house, um, I can change out of my work clothes, and then I can ride with you to the hotel room. So Shelton um, follows Mark Richardson. They let they leave this other friend's house um, around 7, 7.30-ish. They get to Mark's house. Um, Shelton makes a phone call to my parents and um, trying to locate my other brother to tell him, hey, I'm going to be coming home late um, with your vehicle. I need to schedule these bachelor parties, and I'll be home right after. So after making his last phone call to my parents and look, tracking down my younger brother, who was here at the house in Rembert, um, that was about 8.45, 8.54 was this last call that he was trying to make. Um, he finally reached my brother at 8.54 and telling him that he'll be home late. My brother asked him, hey, will you be home within the next two hours? And he said, oh, yeah, sure, I'll be here within two hours. Um, but Mark is there uh, pulling up in his in his yard. Uh, Mark changes his clothes. He comes out, outside, gets into Shelton's car, then they leave, and then they um, approach the first hotel, um, Wesley, Wesley Inn um, in Irmo. Uh, there is another hotel that they went to, um, Residence Inn in, on, in Irmo as well, and then the last hotel, Embassy Suite. So these hotels um, that they visited, the first hotel was at 9.32 where Shelton made a reservation that we have the copy of the receipt for that. Then at 10 o'clock, they arrive at Residence Inn in Irmo. We have the receipt for that. And then Embassy Suite at 9, um, between um, 9.51, we have a receipt that shows that he was at that hotel. Now, Shelton made his very last phone call based on the cell phone records. He made his very last phone call at 907 to Mark Richardson's cell phone. And later on, we discovered after Mark gave his statement to law enforcement that, you know, they're saying, why did Mark, why did Shelton call your phone at 907? He said he lost it while they were on the way to the hotel room. So he asked Shelton to call his number to locate his phone. So that was at 907. Um, he said that after they had left um, the hotels, they made their way back to Mark Richardson's house. 
This is Mark saying that after they left the hotel, they went back to Olympia Avenue where Mark Richardson was living. Um, at that time, it was around 11 or 1130. Um, he said that Shelton told him that he had to go home. You know, he had to return his brother's car because he asked Shelton, can you come inside um, and, you know, hang out, chill out for a little while? And he said, no, i got to go back home to take my brother his car. Um, so um, after that, um, you know, that on the you know my brother didn't show up um June 20th my parents woke up looking for Shelton in the house no sign no word my brother said he hadn't heard from anything my parents started you know it wasn't like him not to come home it wasn't like him not to call and say you know something happened or anything he didn't call or you know express any type of worry or anything so uh, my parents started making calls to his job, well, actually his job called here on um, that Wednesday stating that Shelton missed work. In the meantime, my mom was already calling, you know, his school to see if he made it to school that morning. That next morning, uh, my mom was calling hospitals. Uh, my dad was a magistrate judge at the time, so he was calling law enforcement um, in between here and Columbia, Columbia and um, here, our hometown, Sumter, trying to see if, you know, Shelton had a car accident or if he was in the hospital, we were, they were just calling from state to state, city to city, uh, worrying because he wasn't answering his phone. His phone was actually going straight to voicemail. So a lot of the community, um, our family members were calling Shelton on and off, you know, off and on, on the 20th to 21st. Um, and so my dad called law enforcement. They said they, that he couldn't make a, a follow official complaint, a missing persons complaint until 48 hours later. So the official um, missing persons report was made on June 22nd, 2001, where um, that was recorded. So um, from June 22nd um, on, my parents were still in the quest of finding my brother. Um, my dad instructed my younger brother to start reaching out to Shelton's friends, um, the friends that he went to high school with and to USC, who was his roommate that he was friends with since 1993. So they were the ones that actually told my brother um, that, you know, Shelton was last seen with Mark going to plan these bachelor parties, and, you know, they don't know anything else, that they would reach out to Mark and find out what happened, you know. So Mark, they actually ran into Mark. Mark came over to their house, and they were like, hey, what happened to Shelton? You know, his brother and his family are calling us, asking us what happened. And he said, well, and then he kind of went back over. We just went to the hotels, and then we went back to my house, and he told me he had to go home. And um, they were like, well, that Shelton didn't come home. So that was, you know, the friends um, of Shelton were, you know, looking at Mark saying, hey, you know, is there anything else that happened that didn't happen? Mark started getting defensive saying, you know, why are y'all keep asking me so many questions? I keep telling y'all over and over, you know, he said he was going home. So, um, you know, they reached back out to my brother and my parents and said, well, you know, this is what Mark is saying. We don't know anything. We haven't heard from Shelton either. His phone is going straight to voicemail. So my dad actually um, told, instructed my brother to um, reach out to Mark Richardson on his cell phone um, based on the phone numbers that he was getting from the other friends. And he made contact with Mark and said, hey, we're just looking for Shelton. My parent, My dad would like to speak to you. So um, my brother put my brother put my dad on the phone with Mark Richardson, and immediately Mark Richardson just 
became very nasty with my dad. This was actually on June 25th um, on the phone, and he's just, my dad was saying, you know, Shelton hasn't been home in five days. We're worried, we're concerned, and we were told that you were the last person seen with him. And he just got very nasty with my dad. He said, look, I don't have to tell you a goddamn thing about that goddamn Shelton. Um, you are effing, uh, call my dad a fucking judge. I don't have to tell you anything. Um, if you want to find out where Shelton is, you find him yourself. And he just gotten very nasty with my dad. My dad was fearing that he would hang up on him, so he just didn't want to, you know, uh, continue the conversation anymore because it looked like he was getting – my dad seemed said that it would seem like he was getting very agitated and frustrated with the questions that he was asking him. He wasn't saying that he was a suspect. He was just inquiring about if Shelton, you know, had – said anything or mentioned anything about going anywhere else or was worried or concerned, but he was, Mark Richardson was just so frustrated and didn't want to entertain my dad's questions or act or, you know, provide any comfort or anything. So my dad said, okay, well, we'll talk another day. So that very next day, June 26th, my brother, my dad instructed my brother to call Mark Richardson again. This time, um, when he got on the phone with Mark, his demeanor changed. It was Mr. Sanders or Mr. Sanders, you know, um, uh, whatever I can do to help you find Shell and I'll do that. So well, would you please cooperate with law enforcement? We're, we would like law enforcement to talk to you. And he said, you know what, I can do better than that. I can come over to your house. So my dad said, you know, do you know where we live? He said, yeah, I've been there many times before. So um, he makes his way over. My dad calls law enforcement for backup and saying, hey, you know, Mark Richardson would like to come over. He's the last person seen with him. You know, would you mind assisting us at the house? So Mark Richardson comes over. Um, he says the same thing. He said, well, I don't know what happened to Shelton. Um, he told me he was coming home. Um, that's all I know. And he said that he'll keep coming back over here as much as he can to help us if it need to be. Um and the law enforcement came over. They had a private uh, talk in the living room trying to ask questions. And law enforcement, uh, the detective who was here that particular evening, said that Mark was sounded very jealous of Shelton. He said he mentioned that, look at this house that Shelton lived in. Look at the family that he was raised by. They can find him himself. Shelton has plenty of things. He could, They could find him himself. And so that was the end of um, – that, you know, Mark didn't come back over to our house or anything. So um, there was a, after collecting all that, there was a search warrant performed on his trailer where they uh, retrieved the knife, uh, Glock 45, on Mark and Olympia Avenue. And this was a few days afterwards. They decided to go to his house and um, retrieve, confiscate um, auxiliaries and anything pertaining that could help with the case to do DNA um, forensics on these weapons that he had in his house. Um, while they were over there, they talked to the neighbors um, that were next door to um, Mark Richardson and ex inquired about anything that was disturbing of them that happened that week during June 19th. And they said, well, yeah, we heard three gunshots. Pow, pow, pow. Um, and they said it was that Tuesday. Um, and they were just coming from a club, and they got home about 10, 10.30. 
they went up to their stairs, which is in front of, they lived in front of Mark Richardson, so their, Mark Richardson was living in their backyard. And he said around 11 o'clock, they were startled by three gunshots. Um, the gentleman came outside, and he walked down his stairs and looked over the bushes. It was dark. And he looked at Mark, and he said, is everything all right? And Mark Richardson said, no, everything's fine. You can go back. Everything is fine. It was just my car back. And he said that that did not sound like backfiring. But since he said that it was just his car backfiring, he figured everything was all right, and then he went back inside of his house. Um, so that was that um, witness statement um, for the next-door neighbors. Um, law enforcement started bringing in the other friends of uh, Shelton, people who he was last in contact with based on his cell phone records. They started questioning them, getting their witness witness statements. Um, they did search warrants on one of Mark Richardson's cell phones. He actually had two at the time, and law enforcement only uh, did one um, search of um, his phone record. But that cell phone record produced several calls that were made around 1249 and 1250 on June 20th, which is approximately two hours after the gunshots were heard on June 19th. He makes uh, a phone call to his sister first at 1249, telling his sister to pick him up from um, the Two Notch Road Park Lane area. And how they found out is because when they did the search warrant, they pinged the towers of where his phone was being utilized. So um, he called his sister. His sister said that he wouldn't. She, she was already in bed, that she was not going to come and get him. Then he called his brother, and then his brother said that he would come and get him um, and that night. So he, his brother stated that he picked Mark up from the Tunatro Freeway by the, Be- the Columbia Mall and in between the Columbia Mall and the Best Buy, which is um, a block away from a Decker and Park Lane um, Avenue or area. Sorry. Um, well, very one one second, please. I, I'm th- this is all transpiring on the day or the evening that your brother went missing. Yes. So my I'm brother, sh- my my brother was last heard from around eleven to eleven thirty p.m. June nineteenth. Well, Mark okay. Richardson is using his cell phone at twelve forty nine a.m. on June twentieth. Okay, so this right. what the whole conversation was coming to pick him up and and all of that happened on the twentieth. Right, which is about okay. two out two and a half hours later after Shelton was last seen. Okay, I just I, right. I just wanted to make that clear because I was I wasn't following the timeline of this. Yes, um, so uh, Mark Richardson stated that Shelton left his house at 11.30. But Mark Richardson's cell phone is pinging off of the um, Park Lane and Two Notch Road towers at 12.49 a.m. June 20th. Okay. I understand it now. Yeah. Okay. Brought him in for questioning to law enforcement. They're asking him, why is your cell phone, if if you're stating that Shelton left your house at 11.30, the neighbors are hearing gunshots at 11, between 11.15, 11.30, why are you on Park Lane and Two Notch Road walking using your cell phone? And he then he gives his story. He said that after Shelton left his house at 
he went he went inside of his house. Mark Richardson said he goes inside of his house, packs his dirty laundry around 12 midnight, and he takes it to the Olympia Avenue laundromat to wash his clothes. At around 12 or 12.30, he says that he met he meets the prostitute named Rita, who's from the Millwood area, Millwood Avenue area in Columbia. He said that he uh, they discussed having sexual relations, and then he asked her if she can drop him off, drop his car off at her house, at his house, and that he would get into her car and go to her house to a relation, right? So after um, he says that the the prostitute drops him off at his at drops his car off so he can drop his car off at his house, he gets into her car. He says that she's driving a white four door car, a white four door car. That's how he explains his prostitute. He says that he, they leave Olympia Avenue on the way to her house. They get into an argument on Two Notch Road, and she kicks him out of her vehicle. And so that is his alibi, what he's giving law enforcement as to why his cell phone is supposedly pinging off of those towers. He's saying that um, the prostitute kicked him out. He said the wrong thing to her, and she got mad at him and told him to get out of her car. Okay, so... I was just going to say he's had a busy night. Right. Exactly. Put, putting all this together, I'm, I'm, you know, listening to all of the things that he's saying. It, it's like, okay, get the laundry, did this, did that. You know, that's a lot in one night. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. Um, that's what he uh, says. Well, uh-huh. well, well, Varia, just a quick question. What? Uh, this Mark Richardson, what was his reputation in the community and stuff? Was, was he a troublemaker? Was he a decent kid? What, what kind of reputation did he have? Um, well, he was attending USC, I want to say, for engineering. I'm not sure exactly what his major was. Um, his parents gave their statements to law enforcement at the time and told them that Mark was suffering from having paranoia issues, um, his mom had already kicked him out of her house because he was becoming a trouble troublemaker in the house, and she said that she didn't know him anymore. His personality began to change. His friends, um, which are mutual friends of Shelton, they were all friends since 1993 when they met in their freshman year at USC. They said he was a nice, quiet, humble type. He was lay, uh, to himself. He was very reserved. But starting in 1999, 2000 when he started working for an oil gas tank company out of Florence, his personality started to shift. He started to uh, be become very scary, uh, like he had a hidden agenda. He kept telling the guys that he was hearing voices in his head. He was telling them over and over for a period of a year and a half that I hear voices in my head, I hear y'all talking about me, y'all are following me. Voices in my head are telling me to kill y'all. Um, he would drive to um, another friend's house in Atlanta in, his, in a truck and said and told him, he said, hey, my truck is, I'm hearing voices in my truck. I have to hurry up and get rid of this truck. I'm hearing voices that saying that people are out to get me, and I have to get them first. And so, you know, for that period of time, he was, ha- he was having paranoia issues. Now, he was never seen by a psychiatrist. 
He wasn't seen by a psychologist, and neither was he taking medication. But his friends um, were aware, and they said that Shelton was also aware of his change of behavior as well. But because they were friends for so long, you know, they didn't really judge him or say, you know, well, we can't hang around with you anymore because they they were friends for almost 10 years. So, you know, they knew, they were aware of his personality change. It's uh, it's really too bad, I think, and, and Delilah, I'll ask for your opinion on this, that somebody, uh, uh, Mark's family or friends, didn't, uh, you know, and try to get him some professional help. It, it sounds from what, you know, as a guy hearing voices and told to kill people before they killed him, uh, it sounds like maybe there should have been some intervention by somebody. That's right. Well, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it seems in, in a lot of these cases, there's always going to be some sort of mental health issues that have not been addressed. And that's just, it's pervasive in our country even now. So, that's that's a, another show. <laughs> right. It's mm-hmm. it's terrible. It really is terrible that you know, we we don't do any better than we do. We don't do anything as far as I'm concerned and could this have been prevented if this man had gotten treatment? We don't know, but we never will know now. Right. That's true. And that's I, a, that's the shame of it. And to add so, to that, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. To add to that, four days after Shelton went missing, he tried to sell his 38 caliber to, to several of them. He um, asked them, you know, I'm not, I'm no longer in need of this 38 caliber um, handgun, and he was inquiring with them about how to get rid of it, or who wanted to to, to buy it. So he's he's you know from everything that you've told us about this person, he has a lot of guilty behavior. So can you take us into when he was arrested and and how sure. how that all went about? Okay. So on April twenty sixth, two thousand and three, there was a dispatch complaint, um, noise disturbance um, dispatch that was. Um, called into um, the Richland County Sheriff's Department. And the vehicle, um, when they went back there to the Greenbrier Apartments off of Park Lane Avenue, Park Lane Road, um, that's when they discovered there was a 1988 um, white Oldsmobile Regency that was sta- that was in there, back there, and it was between building 18 and 20, right? So they ran the tags, um, called it and they said, "Wait, this this vehicle is linking back to a missing persons case in 2000 in June 19, 2001." So after that, that pretty much started this case again. The case actually was cold for almost two years, um, be, being that we didn't have a suspect. So it wasn't until April 26, 2003, when the ball started rolling again. Um, there was a search warrant performed on the vehicle. Um, the um, then we started going back. The investigators from Columbia they kind of uh, reinvestigated the case, reinterviewing the witnesses, going back to um, the case uh, based on what was collected at Sumter County. The original investigators. Um, so when they brought in Mark Richardson into the interrogation room in Columbia, 
This was on July the 25th, 2003. Mark was called back into for questioning. Um, this particular day, uh, Mark sits down with the investigator and says, let me ask you a hypothetical question, Carolina. The investigator tells him that we could, we could be given, you could be given the opportunity to explain that. And he went on, and then Mark went on to state by placing his hand, his head in the palm of his hand. How can I explain getting rid of a body? The investigator said, it just needs to be explained. And the answer lies within you. And then Mark responded as if he was frustrated. I can't because I went to, already went to his people's house and acted as if I wanted to help, him, help them find him. Then the investigator said, informed Mark, that Mr. and Mrs. Sanders just want to bring this case to a conclusion. Mark then places his face in his, the palm of his hand again. Suddenly, the next law enforcement officer walks into the interrogation room. The investigator that was talking to Mark tried to update the other investigator that just walked in and said, hey, you know, Mark is just trying to, almost, we, we believe we're getting ready to get a confession out of him, and this is what he said. And then he rehearses back what he, what, he, what Mark just mentioned. And then Mark goes into a uh, defensive mode. I didn't say that. That's not what I said. And then he said, I, can I leave now? And so they, you know, allowed him to uh, leave the interrogation room and escorted him out of the building. So in October of 2006-2005, a search warrant was issued again at his another resident that he was living at. They confiscated a laptop. And in that laptop and in the computer that they confiscated, there were research um, and details in there about Shelton's disappearance. So Mark admitted to law enforcement that he had used his computer to research and maintain updated information um, as it relates to the ongoing investigation of Shelton. They also took uh, books of missing persons and how to get how to get away with murder and uh, abductions. Uh, he was reading books of missing persons and abductions. He had uh, military manuals inside of his house that they confiscated, maps and papers and books and all kinds of uh, things that were in his house, and they confiscated, also confiscated his uh, weapons as well. And then on October the 7th, 2005, an arrest warrant was issued. And there, when they came outside and, you know, he came he came out to the door and they said, you know, Mr. Mark Richardson, and he said, yes, and he said that you're being um arrested for the death, the shooting death of, of Shelton Sanders. And he said, he they said that Mark lifted his hands in the air and said, you got me. I knew this was going to happen. And um, that's when uh, they brought him in um, to the detention center. It wasn't, and he was on bond for $100,000. So um, he paid that, got out. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure one or two days later he was out. Um, the trial began on April 2008. It, it lasted for one week and a day. Um, there were tri the trial consisted of Simone's evidence, circumstantial evidence, and facts um, that were presented. It led to a hung jury. Um, at first, it was actually a jury of nine to three, nine saying that he was guilty and three saying that he was not. 
Um, and then after much discussion, the final verdict was a hung jury of seven jurors voted guilty and five jurors voted not guilty or undecided. And the reasons were because they didn't have Shelton's body to determine the cause of death, and they did not know which uh, weapon that was presented in the court was the actual murder weapon, and which will be hard to determine that because we didn't have Shelton's body. Uh, well, Varia, was Shelton at this point, had he been declared legally deceased or no? Yes. In 2011, um, we, uh, my dad went to get the court paperwork to pronounce him deceased at that time in 2011. And was, was there a death certificate issued that you're aware of? I, I believe so. My dad has it on file. I was wondering what they what they put down for cause and manner of death. I'm assuming undetermined, but I you know I'm just guessing. Um, they're right now they're putting the uh, gunshot uh, because of the circumstantial evidence that's been given about the gunshot. Um, him having a murder weapon of you know the um, gun handgun, and so I believe the cause of death um, is the shooting. Um, that's all in the case file and the paperwork. It says the shooting death. Uh, and this uh, this prostitute, alleged prostitute, Rita, was she ever located or could she vouch or substantiate uh, Mark's alibi? They actually ran down this, this prostitute, but they never talked to her. They uh, found the prostitute. Yeah, they found the prostitute. Um, they had uh, mug shots of her, um, and they never talked to her. They they What I've been told by law enforcement is, several things. They did not believe his alibi, so that's why they didn't talk to her. And then another story I've heard that they didn't even go down that route by questioning her. I thought it would have been a great idea to even talk to her to get her side of the story to say, yeah, I know of him. Yeah, I was with him that night. Or, you know, no, I've never seen him before. Just to put a hole in his statement, but she was never talked to. That, uh, you know, and I I really don't know what to say about that. I I, I can't comprehend when you have a, a, a potential witness like Rita uh, who could substantiate or discredit uh, exactly. Mark's story to not talk to her. I, I, I can't get my head around that. Delilah, you got any thoughts on that? Oh, I find it odd as well. I You know, I would be interested to know the reason, you know, during the investigation, whoever the detective or whoever ever was in charge of the investigation, what their reason was not to speak with her. Right. It, it could it could just be something as simple that you know she, uh, you know, possibly wasn't very credible to begin with. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure they determine those things all every day during an investigation. However. You know that's not the way we see it. That's well, right. you know, you know too. When you get these situations, there's always uh, the possibilities, sometimes remote, but the possibility that these potential witnesses that are in the uh, lifestyle, such as Rita, uh, work with the police as informants, and and there are 
times when they are cut some slack and kept out of things because the uh, law enforcement owes them or relies on them for certain. And I'm not saying that's the case with Rita. I have no idea. I'm just saying that's a possibility because I'm, I'm trying to think of, of a logical reason otherwise not to talk to her. Right. And I'm having trouble finding anything. So I, I don't know, you know, if that enters into play at all. It, it may or may not. But there certainly uh, should be more of an explanation, I think, uh, of, of why she was uh, there was some decision made apparently a conscious decision not to interview her that's that's very puzzling to me right there's a, a, a handful of items that weren't done back then um can't say the reason why but i know there were two different investigators um the first in 2001 to 2003 was the sumter county police department or sheriff's department and then from 2003 on it was the uh, Richland County Sheriff's Department. And then you had some other assisting agencies that were also in this hand. So I'm not sure if it was just a lot of people, a lot of detectives that were involved or, you know, they had their own theories. They wanted to go down certain routes. So, um, but now that I am working as an unofficial investigator and working very, very hard um, and close with the um, cold case department, I will make sure that no stone is being unturned and i have lots of inquiries lots of holes that weren't done that needs to be reinvestigated things that will be done that weren't done then to um bring some closure and some insight of what took place well very exactly what is your position on this as far as you mentioned that you are an official investigator in the case now uh, uh, unofficial uh, unofficial like a, a like a family advocate um, oh, okay. Voice for yeah, I'm not an, I'm not a law enforcement, but I'm working very closely with the law enforcement to help them um, as, you know, an assisting uh, volunteer, um, making sure that we look into every detail, every fact, every case, every situation that didn't happen, that didn't take place, that wasn't looked into. I'm making sure and keeping notes and staying on top of everything. So I'm not an official investigator, but I'm acting as an unofficial investigator for our family. I see. Well, that sets the record straight. I was just a little confused on that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Um, now, I started. I started doing this in 2018. Now, because uh, Mark Richardson's trial ended up in a mistrial with a hung jury. Uh, he can mm-hmm. be recharged, right? Am, am I correct on that? Yes, he can be retried. Once we get new evidence, we will retry him again. And uh, is Mark still around? Any you hear anything about him or his location yes. or what he's up to? Yep. Um, he's actually been living in Greenville, South Carolina, since 2017. He's been moving around quite some time, literally after Shelton um the last place that they were seen in at the Olympia Avenue location when Shelton went missing, he left out of that place a few weeks later. And he's he's been moving around from Lexington to West Columbia, Fort Mill, South Carolina, Greer, South Carolina, Rock Hill, and then now he's in Greenville, South Carolina. And I kind of stay up to date with what he has going on. Um, he was arrested in 2019 for a prostitution sting in Greenville. 
And I have reached out to him indirectly with a uh, our the family has reached out to him with a letter asking him to provide us closure. Um, and we have been begging for some closure, and that was sent to him and his family in a in a mail and by letter. So, um, yep, he's in Greenville, South Carolina. He's still around. Um, no one is saying anything. I've put out billboards in Greenville near his house. I've did um, yard signs near his house. I've done flyers near his house. We've done it in Columbia where the car was found over there on Olympia where they heard the gunshot. I've done it in my hometown just in case that anyone, you know, people have been talking and have heard something. I want to spread the word out. I have a Facebook page for Shelton, Finding Shelton Sanders. I have a Instagram page, Finding Shelton Sanders, a Twitter page, Finding Shelton Sanders, and I'm updating my the audience and the followers of Shelton of what's going on in the case, what took place in the case, what answers are we searching for. I have a tip line number that I monitor and um, an email for Shelton that I monitor just in case of anyone who wants to give their tips and um, a cash award of $25,000 for the accurate location um, and discovery of Shelton's remains. It sounds like you you definitely covered your bases very well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have been actively working to um, bring justice to Shelton's case. um, I've been in contact with um, the media, the news outlets, um, in the Midlands and the upstate of South Carolina, we've been on the news, um, the radios, um, the crime TV shows on Investigative Discovery, CBS. Um, I've had weekly meetings with law enforcement. Um, I've met with the Attorney General of South Carolina. We have met with a sheriff who's been very helpful, um, and his um, deputies and his chiefs under him, they've been helpful. Um, we've contacted numerous sources on how to find out of ways to help solving the case. Um, I had to go fund me out for people to make donations who want to contribute. I've increased the cash reward um, twice, um, and now it's at $25,000. we have hired private – well, I've hired private investigators to look at certain pieces. I've hired numerous psychics that were celebrity psychics that were actually on – um, celebrity shows that use um, hunting for evidence shows or crime shows that they use psychics, so I've hired them. I keep brainstorming every day, every night. I don't sleep, and this is all I breathe, um, this case. And um, we this year we're doing a grand um, event for Shelton here at our house um, to bring everyone that knew Shelton and to get the message out there that we're not giving up. We are not giving up until Shelton is brought home. Um, any remains, um, we know it's been 20 years. Um, it could be, you know, bones. It could be fossils, whatever it is. A piece of him will be whatever it is that's left of him. We just want it home with us, a proper burial. Do you have any any suspected locations um, that where his I, remains may be? We've been... You know, when my dad and we were first on this case back in 2001 all the way to 2003, there were so many people in the community, uh, inmates in jail and the um, psychics that would come up and write to law enforcement anonymously and say, you know, the body is at the Congaree River, it's at the Watery River, it's at the Boykin Mills Pond, 
it's closer to Sumter. It's it's over here in Columbia, and my they had helicopters out there. They had divers. So we they've been there. It's just a matter of going back to these places and covering the grounds and the bodies of water that weren't covered because they couldn't cover everything. Um, what is mentioned is that Mark Richardson is an outdoors person. He, um, after doing his background check, I, I um, discovered that he had a wildlife fishing ticket in 2000, just a few months prior to my brother going missing. And so the friends would always say that he would love to go fishing, um, always outdoors, in the, in the woods, and um, at these locations, um, at these lakes. So I visited some of these places where he um, actually is almost near our home in the Kershaw County area where he would typically go. And I've been out there to look at the river and the currents and see um, in the woods. So there's there. a wide range of, of of locations, actually. Right. That, that, there's a wide range are, of locations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there really isn't one location that stands out. There's just so many that you know you would have to pinpoint something, um, yeah. you know, to be successful. Obviously. That's right. It's it, it's so many. It's so many. Um, I guess anonymous tips that were coming in that was early on in the investigation. Right now, we don't have, but where the car was found and where the gunshots were heard as our main two um, focus points at this point. Um, I wish, and I'm, my prayer is that someone would come forth and tell us exactly where it is, where the body is located, so we won't have to kind of uh, just go in there blindsided, we're just looking and looking and looking. But I'm we're still gonna look regardless of how long it takes. Um but no, we don't have one specific location. We can only go by where the gunshots were heard on Olympia off of Rosewood Avenue, Rosewood Drive and um where the car was found on Park Lane Road over there by Two Notch Road in Columbia. So there are several places we could um well there are several places that are of interest but we don't know exactly where um the location of Shelton's remains are. Uh, well, Varia, uh, I know you're working with the, the law enforcement cold case people. Do you have any civilian uh, assistance, any, anybody you're working with for, from a civilian cold case uh, standpoint? Um, I've t- got in contact with several nonprofit organizations that um, do investigation with missing persons and um, – Crime or unsolved crimes, but since now they're they're aware of the cold case unit at the um, Richmond County Sheriff's Department is on the case. They don't want to, um, I guess, clash or you know have two investigations going on at once simultaneously at one time. So they don't want to step on anybody's toes. Um, but now we recently got these cold case um, investigators on the case about a month ago. So I'm going to allow them their time to properly investigate the case this time around. There's just a, a thought. The uh, the cold case review panel that uh, you can find on our Transparency Project's website, uh, they do pro bono, but they don't do field investigations. They basically review case files and, okay. uh, you know, and, 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 and look for things that uh, may not have been covered or that uh, may stand out or that they recommend would require uh, additional investigation and so forth. 
Uh, I don't know if that's anything you'd be interested in contacting them or not, but it, like I say, it's a pro bono uh, arrangement, and uh, they have a, a pretty impressive crew that uh, that works for the cold case review panel. So it may or may not be something you'd be interested in checking into. I, I would actually love to do that. I've, um, I would love to do that. I've been on the quest to getting information on the case by doing FOIA. So I did a do a FOIA to get to to understand what the case file was about. But the problem is that the it wasn't even we weren't aware of it, but we just found out a few months ago that the um Mark Richardson got the case dismissed and his record expunged. So now we're having issues with that. We weren't aware, law enforcement wasn't aware and the solicitor's office are saying that they don't know who approved of that. So we ran into that issue. I'm not sure if law enforcement can share since the case has been expunged from Mark Richardson. It's not that he can't be tried again. He can be. Um, but at this point, the current case file can is not shareable to the public. So um, I'm not sure if they will allow any other nonprofit organizations or um, cold case um, individuals that's not within the sheriff's department to look at the case file. Okay, well, you but you have an awful lot of stuff already, don't you? You have an awful lot of documents well, my, and so forth. Right, because my dad took lots and lots and lots of notes in the beginning. So I have collected this information from my dad's case file notes that he kept. Um, he was a judge at the time, so and he was the one mainly on the case with law enforcement, so he kept a lot, a lot of notes on what was going on at the time. So that's how I was able to put the pieces of the puzzle together. So I do. Well, we have our own case file, our own home case files. We do. If you uh, want to visit the, the Transparency Project's website, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I can send you the link if you'd like. Okay. And uh, yeah, the Cold Case Review Panel is, is one of the options you have in the menu, and uh, you can check it out and uh, see if it's anything you'd be interested in doing. You know, uh, taking a look at. Um, okay, I would love that. Thank you. I will I will get that out to you later today. And you mentioned the uh, that you've consulted or retained uh, psychics uh, in the past. Yes. What's your luck been with them? Have you found anything really credible, or has it been mixed, or how would you rate that? Um, what they're saying is that they are saying, well, one of them, I have a, a meeting with another one that's coming up soon, but this one that was on Haunting for Evidence, she said that, the she described exactly what Mark Richardson looked like. She gave his features and everything, and she said that he knows exactly what happened. He was there. Um, they then she started talking about where they put the body. Um, she was trying to give me the the markers of the road. We went back there. We um, me and my dad and we walked back there in these backwoods near this pond, this river, and these trees, and it was just a big old. It was underneath a bridge, so it was just massive land to look. Um, without having a sonar or a canine, it'll be kind of hard to know, but that's what she said. That's where the body, she envisioned where the body was. Um, she said that there were three or four people that were also um, there at the crime scene as well. Um, and... Uh, she was just saying that um, they got rid of Shelton's body because they were afraid that nobody would believe them. 
that it was a uh, an accident. She said that um, they were, you know, they felt like they were were they were trying their their purpose was to get away with murder. So that's why they had to hide the body, so um, so that they wouldn't serve any time. And that's mostly the insight that she was giving me. She was basically trying to pin. Most of the conversation was just trying to give me the markers of where the body was. I mean, down to the point where we actually drove down there to where she was giving us the land markers and the map map quest and stuff. So. Um, that wasn't really a positive ID. Law enforcement, they don't utilize psychics as a tool. So that was mostly um, my family that would have to trace that. But um, it, it does provide some insight of what could have happened. And that's why I'm going to talk to another celebrity psychic that's very well known to um, to see if there is any comparison of their story to um, gain some insight of what could have possibly happened. You said earlier you're not leaving any stone unturned. It certainly sounds sounds like you're, as Delilah said, you're covering all the bases. God bless you. Oh yes, I am not. I will not rest until my brother is found. I will keep going out there, searching and searching. I I must say you are the super women of family advocates, <laughs> and. Thank you so much. I, from so from everything that I've heard so far, you're doing one fantastic job, and and I really hope and pray that you know you do find resolution uh, to this case very soon. Thank you, Delilah. Thank you, Danny. Thank you so much. I appreciate you both. Well, you're very welcome, and we're just about out of time. So before we before we do run out, I wanted to thank you, uh, Wilveria, for sharing it was very disturbing story very frustrating story with us and and i want to again congratulate you and commend you for for your efforts because uh, you know that with your determination and perseverance is on this there's always a chance of a yes. resolution and and yes. you know that's the thing we it, it, it's a tough situation to be in but we can't give up because if you give up the bad guys win so we, right. we have to, as, as difficult as it is, we have to hang in there and uh, yes. and go for the end. So I will be sending you uh, the link to the uh, website in a, in a little bit and uh, some other information. And I hope you'll keep us informed of, uh, of the case if there's any uh, new developments. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much. And I just want to say to anyone that's listening to this, podcast to if you know of any information if you know where Shelton may be or you know any information about the case or the the criminal um the, the crime itself please come forth um you can report this information anonymously uh, anonymously um there is a cash reward for $25,000 and I just pray that God um just gives you the op- opportunity to to come clean, to come open, and to bring uh, the Sanders family some closure. And I thank you all for listening to us. Oh, thank you very much again, Wilberry, and the best of luck to you. And thanks to our audience for listening. Until next time, stay healthy and stay safe. Thank you.